Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I'm Amanda Farmer, your podcast host, and I am here each week helping you to demystify the legal complexities of apartment living wherever you are around Australia. This week, I am bringing you David Edwards. David is a founding partner of DEA Lawyers, a specialist strata title and litigation legal practice in Sydney. David has been practicing law for over 21 years. He practices mainly in the areas of commercial and property litigation, with a particular emphasis on disputes arising in the context of strata and community title schemes. David has been involved in many of the leading cases in the New South Wales Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court, including two of the most important cases on bylaws decided by the New South Wales Court of Appeal, and that is White and Batali, as well as the owners of Strata Plan number 3397 and Tate. David can now add to that list a leading case from the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal Appeals Panel. That is Strata Plan 58068 and Cooper. That is the case I invited David to share with us today on the podcast. As you may have heard, it is a case about bylaws banning pets in New South Wales strata schemes, and I will leave the rest for David to explain to you as he does in this upcoming interview. Before we head over there, I want to let you know that I will be running a webinar midday this Thursday, the 11th of June. This webinar is brought to you by Blacktown City Council, and it is fitting that I mention it to you today because it is a webinar all about bylaws. How can you use bylaws to combat bad behavior in your building and restore peace to your strata community? Now, I regularly run webinars about bylaws, and many of you would have previously attended a bylaw webinar of mine. Even if you have attended before, I do urge you to tune in this Thursday for what will be an update. I will be delving a little deeper into the issues that David is about to highlight for you in this upcoming chat, particularly around what it is that makes a bylaw in New South Wales harsh unconscionable or oppressive. We've received some really important guidance in the Cooper case, which is not only relevant to bylaws dealing with pets, but all bylaws in our New South Wales strata schemes. So join me on the webinar on Thursday. You do need to register. Head over to yourstrataproperty.com.au forward slash webinar. You'll be directed to Blacktown Council's registration page. Sign on up and you'll be sent your unique access link for the webinar. I hope to see you online on Thursday. And now I will take you over to my chat with David Edwards. David Edwards, welcome to the show. Hi, Amanda. Good to be with you. It is a pleasure to have you here with us on the show. I did give our listeners 
bit of a heads up last week that we would be chatting and I have also mentioned your impending appearance over on our Facebook page. So I know we have listeners out there who are very keen to hear from you all about the excitement that you've had over in the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal, particularly the appeal panel. A couple of wins for you coming out of that place last week, David. Yeah, that's right, Amanda. Uh, decision in relation to the Horizon building in Sydney. It's uh, been in the papers a fair bit since the earlier decision was made in November last year. Um, and so there's been a bit of press coverage in relation to it. And it's, the decision's been eagerly anticipated and the appeal panel delivered the decision, which provides much clarity for strata owners and owners corporations in New South Wales. Yes, you are talking about the owner's strata plan number 58068 and Cooper. I will put a link to the decision in the show notes for this episode. That was the case in which you, David, acted for the successful owner's corporation on appeal. Let's kick this off, David, by setting out, if you don't mind, the facts of this case. What was it all about? Well, look, it was basically about an owner's right to keep a dog in their lot in the building. As I mentioned previously, the building is the Horizon Building in Darlinghurst, an iconic large building in central Sydney. And when that strata scheme was registered back in 1998, there was a bylaw that was in existence and registered with the strata plan that was in effect the old model bylaw C that prohibited an owner or occupier of a lot from keeping an animal in the lot or keeping it on the common property. Now, the Coopers purchased their lot and have resided in their lot since July 2015. And before they purchased the lot, they were aware of the existence of the bylaw that prevented the keeping of animals. And initially, the Coopers kept their dog away from the building and it lived with Mrs. Cooper's sister for a period of time. Uh, The Coopers then requisitioned a motion to be considered at an extraordinary general meeting to, in effect, repeal the existing bylaw that prevented the keeping of animals and to make a new bylaw that would permit animals to be kept with the written consent of the owners' corporation. Now, those motions were defeated by 75% of owners voting against those motions. Then about six months after the Coopers purchased and moved into their lot. After those motions were defeated, they then brought the dog into the building and kept it in their lot. And the dog was initially concealed for about two and a half years in a bag when entering and leaving the building. Fast forward a couple of years, um, Coopers then tried again to repeal the existing bylaw and to make a new bylaw in the same terms as previously. And that again was defeated by 75% of owners voting against. And then in about August 2018, Mrs. Cooper started walking the dog in and out of the building on a lead, travelling across the common property because it was no longer possible to keep the dog in a backpack because it had suffered an injury. And then in October 2018, Mrs. Cooper's lawyers advised the owners' corporation that they considered the bylaw was harsh, unconscionable and oppressive and was invalid. And if the owners' corporation took any steps to enforce the bylaw, then they would make an application to seek to invalidate the bylaw on those grounds. There was then yet another attempt at the end of December 2018 to repeal the bylaw and replace it with a new bylaw. This time that was defeated by 89% of unit entitlements voting against that motion. And then the Owners Corporation essentially issued some notices to comply 
and when they weren't complied with, they commenced action in the tribunal seeking an order for a pecuniary penalty, but also more importantly for an order for removal of the dog from the building. And the Coopers filed their own cross-application whereby they were seeking to invalidate the bylaw under this new provision, which means that a bylaw can't be harsh, unconscionable and oppressive. Can I just stop you there, David? I just want to get an idea of the timing. When was it that the Owners Corporation filed its application for a pecuniary penalty? That was in April 2019. Okay. And at the same time, were they seeking an order for removal? Yes, in the same application. And then I think about two months thereafter, the Coopers filed their cross-application and then both applications were essentially joined and heard together by the tribunal about six months thereafter, I think in about September last year. Okay. And what did the tribunal decide at that time? In the first instance decision, the tribunal spent much time criticising and critiquing an earlier decision in a well-known case of Yardi that was Mm -hmm. earlier in, in 2018. And essentially the tribunal said that that Yardi decision it thought was wrong, but the tribunal applied a different test to what had been applied in Yardi and essentially adopted the position that the legislature had intended some movement towards a regime where pets could be kept in buildings and assessed on the merits of a particular pet or a particular type of pet. That reasoning seemed to stem from the fact that the parliament changed the model bylaws so that there's now only two options which essentially contemplate animals being kept with approval or otherwise instead of the third option which was previously that there'd be a prohibition or a blanket ban on pets. So at first instance the tribunal found that the Coopers had demonstrated that their dog was a suitable type of dog and had a suitable personality and behaviour that in effect made it unpleasant or harsh or unjust or excessive, unconscionable, oppressive for it not to be allowed to keep the animal in the building. And interestingly, the tribunal then said the evidential onus then shifted to the owner's corporation whereby it needed to put forward evidence of the particular strata scheme to demonstrate that the blanket prohibition is not harsh, unconscionable and oppressive. And the tribunal said that the owner's corporation hadn't led sufficient evidence to demonstrate that was the case and therefore the tribunal invalidated the bylaw and the owner's corporation's application was unsuccessful and orders were made that permitted the Coopers to keep the dog in the building and the owner's corporation then appealed from that decision. And the appeal panel found ultimately that the tribunal got it wrong. Why? Yeah, look, that's right. Um, It's a very interesting decision because it's not just related to pets. It really is a decision by the appeal panel as to how it will look at bylaws generally and anyone that might challenge a bylaw for being harsh, unconscionable and oppressive. And it's Mm. given owners, corporations, owners, lawyers that practice in the space clear guidance as to what are the circumstances that might give rise to those things happening. So firstly, the, the appeal panel held that a bylaw might be harsh, unconscionable and oppressive in three circumstances. One, on it by its terms. So in other words, by reading the bylaw, if reading it, it shows that it's harsh, unconscionable and oppressive, then that will be the case. Or alternatively, that it imposes an obligation or removes an existing right from an owner. So that may well be harsh, unconscionable and oppressive. Or otherwise, upon consideration of all of the facts and circumstances of the particular lot owner and the way in which the bylaw operates, And so 
the appeal panel then said that what the relevant matters to take into account are the terms of the bylaw, the history of the bylaw, the circumstances in which the bylaw came to operate on various owners, including the particular applicant, and having a look at those things, they're the relevant things to determine whether or not the bylaw might be harsh, unconscionable and oppressive. Essentially, the tribunal said that the qualities of the dog, the breed of the dog, the benefits of pet ownership, the contention that mental health, etc., benefits by pet ownership are not sufficient and not relevant matters to take into account. What the appeal panel said is the tribunal failed to consider all of the facts properly. There was a particular focus on those things about the type of dog, the personality of the dog, etc., which were factors, but they weren't necessarily determinative. What the appeal panel focused on was that the Coopers chose to purchase a lot in a strata scheme that didn't permit the keeping of animals. They commenced residing in the scheme knowing that that was the case. And essentially, with having notice of those things and in their particular factual circumstances, then the bylaw wasn't harsh, unconscionable and oppressive. Mm. There were probably some key takeaways from the decision without getting too technical or legal, but essentially what the decision, the Cooper decision and the Roden decision that were handed down at the same time essentially mean is that a strata community is entitled to make its own rules by way of bylaws, including to prohibit animals. And just because there is a blanket prohibition that does not in and of itself render a bylaw harsh, unconscionable and oppressive. And it was interesting that because there are arguments about community standards and so on that applied across the community, and what the appeal panel said is, if you're looking at community in this context, then the community is the community being the community within the particular strata scheme itself, mm. not the wider or broader community. And it was those owners that make up that community strata scheme that are entitled to, in effect, exercise democratic rights about how they wish to live in the building. And so I think what's important from the decision is that essentially we know that when owners are considering buying a particular lot, then they consider factors such as location, size, views, aspect, natural light, storage, lifts, stairs, amenities, but they quite often ignore or pay little attention to the bylaws. And, and what I would say as a consequence of this decision, and it's a follow-on from many decisions that the courts have made essentially that they won't really interfere with original bylaws and they'll be reluctant to interfere with other bylaws unless there's a good reason to do so. But it's very important if you're an owner that are looking to purchase a lot in a strata scheme that you do check the bylaws, particularly if you own a pet or you would like to own a pet and keep it in the building, you need to consider the bylaws and consider whether the bylaw prohibits that activity or whether you're allowed to do it with written consent and so on, because it'll be unlikely if you purchase with notice of the bylaw, which you always will because the bylaws must be attached to the contract for sale, then you'll have very limited right to have such bylaws set aside and to keep your animal within the building. Hmm. Am I right that it was quite relevant to the appeal panel that the vast majority of owners, when this was put to the general meeting a couple of times by Mrs Cooper to change the bylaw, the vast majority of owners opposed that change. Am I right that that really fed into establishing, I suppose, the community standard for the building? Is that how the tribunal knew that this building had set a standard of no pets and took it into account that way? 
Yeah, look, I mean, that was certainly, that was one of the factors that was taken into account. And I think that not much weight was placed upon that by the tribunal at first instance. And, mm. and the appeal panel seemed to say that, well, when you take into account all of the facts, including the fact that on the last attempt to repeal the bylaw and to change the bylaw, there were 89% of owners that had voted against changing the status quo. In other words, they wanted to keep essentially the same blanket prohibition that had existed for the past 22 years, since 1998, when the building was registered. You can imagine that other owners had purchased into the building. People have all sorts of reasons for buying into buildings, but some of them might have regarded that it was important that the building was pet-free and animal-free, and they didn't want to live in a community that had pets as part of it. Others might not have, might have been apathetic about it, and some might want to keep animals, but it's always been the case in this particular community that no animals have been permitted to be kept in the building. I'm also interested, David, in the lapse of time, I suppose, between it clearly coming to the knowledge of the Owners Corporation that Mrs Cooper was keeping her dog in the apartment, was carrying him across common property. You said that she first brought the dog in, I think around 2015, concealed, and then perhaps openly from towards the end of 2018 and then the owners corporation commenced its proceedings when was that in april 2019 after having issued three or four notices to comply okay so was there evidence in this case of the dog causing some nuisance or noise or having some impact on other residents was that relevant to the tribunal the particular behaviour of this dog? Uh, look, it wasn't. The appeal panel said that they're not relevant factors to take into account. Um, and, I mean, in, in this case, if they were relevant factors, then, in effect, the Coopers would have the benefit of having not complied with the bylaw for a number of years to then rely on their, that conduct to suggest that the dog wasn't a nuisance and wasn't causing any other issues in the building. There, there was one incident in the evidence where the dog had urinated in the foyer of the building and um, I think Mrs Cooper had cleaned that up and the owners corporation's cleaners then had to come along and clean that but essentially though the type the breed the behavior and so on really aren't factors that are determinative of whether or not a bylaw such as this is harsh unconscionable and oppressive rather mm -hmm. the tribunal is just looking at the terms of the bylaw itself and then the circumstances of that applied to the particular strata scheme and the particular lot owner that was making the application. Mm. And so important, the fact that the bylaw was in place from the registration of the strata plan, that the vast majority of owners had decided they did not want to change it and that the residents who were attempting to invalidate the bylaw had been on notice of that definitely since they purchased. David, we seem to have... So much controversy around this issue in New South Wales in particular. From what I see in other states around the country, they don't have the same controversy. What is it about our legislation that is perhaps different from Queensland's, if we take that example, that makes this such a controversy? Look, they, these types of disputes are always emotional. I mean, people who have pets have great love for them. They want to be able to keep them and so on. And there are other people that for whatever reason, don't like pets and don't want to live live amongst them. So there's certainly, there's always emotion charged, the, these disputes. In Queensland, the situation 
as I understand it, is slightly different because the test up there is not only refers to being oppressive but also unreasonable. And the appeal panel in New South Wales said that unreasonableness is not the relevant test when looking at a bylaw in New South Wales. It's really just harsh, unconscionable and oppressive. And that's a higher burden or a higher threshold than unreasonable. So what we see in Queensland quite often is that blanket bans of pets are usually overturned or not upheld by adjudicators up there. And even if there are some behaviour restrictions in bylaws, then quite often they can be overturned as well if they're held to be unreasonable. I don't know what it is about New South Wales in particular. I guess the, the legislature at this stage has taken the position that strata schemes are free to act as a democracy and are entitled to determine their own rules and whether or not they want to allow pets or and all sorts of other use and behaviour, et cetera, within the buildings. And that that really has shone through in the legislation. There was some argument in the case about whether that had changed as a result of the new legislation and whether this type of bylaw could still be made. But the appeal panels quite clearly said that an owner's corporation is still entitled to make these types of bylaws and they're entitled to either make them on registration of the strata plan or an owner's corporation can continue to make them thereafter. Something I have been pondering since reading these decisions and hearing from many listeners and clients also who have been confused by this issue over the last 12 months or so is we have had the tribunal take one view and now shift to another. This concept of unreasonableness, it does appear in our legislation. There is a way for owners who are unhappy with a decision made by their owners corporation at a general meeting to apply to the tribunal on the basis the owners corporation is being unreasonable. And you'll know, David, that arises in the context of renovations often and the failure to approve common property rights bylaws. People want the special privilege to do something to the common property, usually connected to a renovation. They put forward a bylaw at a meeting and the bylaw doesn't get passed. Our legislation in New South Wales then says that an owner has the right to apply to the tribunal for an order making their bylaw on the basis the owner's corporation has unreasonably refused to make the bylaw. Now, that concept of unreasonableness, as you've explained to us, doesn't apply in the context of bylaws about pets. So if Mrs Cooper put forward a change to the bylaw about pets saying that pets should be allowed on application and her fellow owners refused to approve that change, she could not go to the tribunal and say, well, my fellow owners are being unreasonable and I want the tribunal to make this bylaw. I've been pondering why this difference between alterations to lots, which in my experience as a lawyer can have far more impact, do have quite a lot of impact. That's quite a common complaint that I hear from owners around the building that they are impacted by renovations, noise, renovations not being done properly, common property being damaged. I'm sure you see a lot of the same disputes. I don't see so much complaints about the impact of pets in apartments, I have to say, noise, nuisance, mess, damage. Why do we have then this ability to more easily overrule, if you like, the majority when it comes to renovations, but not so when it comes to pets. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, it's an interesting 
question. And I don't know. I mean, there, are, as you've identified, there are two different tests that that apply. And in respect of the common property rights bylaws and unreasonableness, there's actually an obligation on the tribunal to take into account the rights and reasonable expectations of the owner that's seeking the special privilege or the rights and balance that against all other interests of owners in the use and enjoyment of their lots and the common property. So there's a a more heavily prescribed test that gives some guidance as to how those matters might be determined. At the moment, I, I guess the legislature's just decided that it doesn't want to intrude too much into what I'll call management type bylaws as opposed to common property rights bylaws. And I mean, you can prohibit all sorts of things in strata schemes. We prohibit smoking and prohibited from hanging certain blinds and window coverings. And there are all sorts of examples of prohibitions where people are allowed or not allowed to do certain things and mm. must you know, behave in, in a certain way. So that's the state of the legislation at the moment. And mm. um, that's what we've got to work with. Yeah, it's curious. Do you agree with my view or is your experience a little bit different as a strata lawyer practicing in New South Wales? Do you see many complaints come across your desk arising from the behaviour of animals in strata schemes, the the outcomes, I like to say, of keeping an animal? Look, I do. I can't say whether it's more or less than other types of complaints, but uh, we certainly act for owners who own pets and are met with those sort of notice to comply issues and complaints about their pets. We also act for many owners' corporations who are having problems with pets in their buildings and trying to work out how to deal with them. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't say it's more prevalent than other bylaw type disputes and enforcement actions, but certainly they are around and there are there are issues and that do cause concern within these communities. Mm. Well, anyone new to the podcast will have worked out by now, I imagine, that I do come personally from a, a pro-pets position. And I say new to the podcast because if you've been listening for a while, um, you'll know absolutely from what I have broadcast previously, both on this podcast and over on our Facebook page, that I am a, an animal lover and a pet owner in Strata. And we do have a dog here in our apartment. So I try to approach this, this issue, accepting that I may not always succeed with two separate hats, one from the legal point of view and one from the personal point of view. And my my pondering, I suppose, about this difference in our legislation where the tribunal can take the position of overruling an owner's corporation decision because it was unreasonable and in other situations it cannot. I agree completely that that is a legislative constraint and uh, with my personal pro-pet hat on, I do look forward to some reform in that area. Is this the final word on this issue from the case law perspective, David? What is happening next, if anything, in this case for you? Uh, look, I mean, the Coopers have may or may not appeal. There, there is a an avenue of appeal to the Supreme Court, but you need leave to appeal on a question of law. So whether or not they avail themselves of that, that remains to be seen. But hopefully otherwise that this is the final word on the issue. We have seen some previous appeal panel decisions about other topics where appeal panels have decided different things in conflict with earlier appeal panel decisions. I suspect that they have had one eye on that here and that's very much why they held back the Roden decision knowing that this Cooper appeal was pending and then they've delivered both decisions simultaneously, I think, to avoid a 
conflict situation. So now essentially what you have is two decisions decided by the appeal panel, by the president and the deputy president. So it's a very strong appeal panel. And so I think this has very much clarified the law in this area and people, owners, corporations now need to really have a look at their bylaws and how they're going to deal with this going forward. And as I said before, it's important for owners to understand their rights now and how they might proceed in terms of animals in their apartment or purchasing apartments and so on. Yes, and an excellent point you raised earlier. These are not just cases about pets and pet bylaws. These are very helpful cases about giving us some indication of what it is that makes a bylaw harsh, unconscionable, or oppressive. New words put into our legislation, and as yet, only a few cases telling us exactly what those words mean. So, having this guidance from, as you said, a strong appeal panel is helpful in many different respects. You mentioned there, David, the Roden case, the decision that was delivered by the appeal panel simultaneous with the Cooper decision. I will put a link to that one in the show notes for this episode as well. And the uh, Cooper decision does cross-refer to that one. There's mention, David, of penalty proceedings in the Cooper case. Can you just give us a quick explanation of where they now fit in? Yeah, look, the appeal panel has indicated that it will give the owners corporation the right to seek a remittal of that application to be determined by the tribunal. So in effect, I mentioned earlier that the owners corporation sought two orders when it filed its application, one for a penalty for failure to comply with the notice to comply and two for an order for removal of the animal. Now, in effect, the tribunal at first instance didn't decide the penalty application because it decided that the bylaw was harsh, unconscionable and oppressive. So therefore, the notices to comply weren't valid. Now, the appeal panels held that the bylaw is valid and therefore it has suggested that the owners corporation, if it likes, can seek remittal of the application back to the tribunal and the tribunal can then decide whether or not to impose a penalty against the Coopers and if so, the extent of that penalty. And so at the moment, I'm just um, uh, waiting on instructions and a final decision to be made as to whether or not uh, the owners corporation will seek to do that. Uh, so it may be that there's a next step in that or it may not go any further. And that would be a penalty of up to $1,000 for breach of the bylaw, is that right? Yeah, up to, yes, $1,100 uh, for breach of the bylaw based on, on one of the particular notices to comply. Okay. Something to be clear on, I think, for our listeners who may be in the position of having a pet or wanting a pet is that the specific circumstances of the pet owner are still relevant, aren't they, to the extent that the tribunal is going to look at when this person bought in, what the bylaws were at that stage, if a bylaw was not in place when a pet owner bought in and then the bylaws were changed down the track, that could produce a different result before the tribunal. Is that right? Absolutely, it could. I mentioned one of the grounds that the appeal panel said that a bylaw might be harsh, unconscionable and oppressive is if it affects existing rights. And so if there's a situation, for instance, where pets are permitted in a building, either with or without written consent and an owner has an animal and the owner's corporation then seeks to change the bylaw to, in effect, prohibit pets and then proceeds to, I guess, issue notices to comply requiring anyone that owns one to remove those pets from the building, then you would think that in those circumstances that would seem to be 
harsh, unconscionable and oppressive and is very likely to be set aside by the tribunal. And so it's really just looking at the relevant facts and circumstances that apply in that particular strata scheme and the factors that you just mentioned, Amanda, are important. You know, when when did the owner buy in? Did they have notice? What was the status of the bylaw at that particular time? What's happened since? What's the current position? And so on. All of those things are relevant and it could produce a different outcome. But essentially, this case was more about whether or not an owner's corporation had a right to have a blanket ban and there was an earlier decision in Yardi that suggested that there was no right to have a blanket prohibition against pets and that if you did, that that was harsh, unconscionable and oppressive and this decision says that's not the case at all. And then when the appeal panel then analysed the facts in this particular case, it decided that, in fact, the bylaw wasn't harsh, unconscionable and oppressive for many of those factors that you just mentioned that are relevant to this particular building. Yes, thank you for that, David. It's important to have that clarity for owners who may be in a different situation to that which the Coopers found themselves in. It will be very interesting to watch what happens from here and if there is an appeal to follow that and follow the outcome. But for now, it sounds like we have a reasonable level of certainty when it comes to harsh, unconscionable or oppressive bylaws and indeed blanket pet bans. If there's anything else you want to add, David, before we wrap up, do let me know. But otherwise, let our listeners know how they can find out more about you. Uh, yeah, thanks, Amanda. I guess just my website, dealawyers.com.au, and my profile's on there with all my contact details. Excellent. And uh, you can buy me a drink next time we catch up to uh, apologise for your your hard work in changing the law in this area <laughs> and breaking the hearts of strata pet owners around the state. <laughs> Will do. Agreed. <laughs> thanks so much, David. All right. Thanks a lot, Amanda. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today? today?